Time for our children to head out for children's worship. Our gospel lesson is Matthew, the fifth chapter, uh, verses 23 and 24. Hear now God's words for you. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come offer your gift. This is the word of the Lord. We've been talking now for several weeks about these issues that surround forgiveness. We started off saying the first thing we all need is to know and define that forgiveness that God so freely offers to us because once we've been freed by God, we have the power then to begin to forgive others. We talked about learning to forgive ourselves. And then last week we began to talk about forgiving those who've hurt us. As we move to the end of the series today, I want us to talk about our asking forgiveness for people who we have hurt, people we've wronged. But before I do that, I want to talk a little bit more about this business about forgiving people who have done something to us. Every time I come to one of these, I say, this is the hardest one. And then I get to the next week and I say, no, this is the hardest one. They're all hard. There's no way of measuring which is the most difficult. But I do think that, at least for us, one of the most is when we are called upon to forgive somebody who really is an enemy. Somebody who doesn't care whether we forgive them or not. Somebody who has caused harm in some way or another and whom we would just as soon not have anything at all to do with. That is really one of the most difficult things I think we can do. I talked last week about the daughter of a friend of ours who was killed and his ability to find that forgiveness. And I have to tell you, in the natural state, we human beings don't do that very easily. Um, I'm not sure I could do what he did. Our inclination as human beings is to want to strike back. And I understand that. I feel that as much as you do. A poet put it this way. He said, My wishes are for a humble dwelling with a thatched roof, a good bed, good food, and flowers at my window, and some tall trees before my door. And if the good Lord wants to make me truly happy, He will grant me the joy of seeing five or six of my enemies hanging from those trees. That's the way human beings are. Spanish revolutionary lays dying, and when the priest comes to administer the last rites, he asks if he's forgiven his enemies. And the revolutionary says, No, Father, I have no enemies. I've killed them all. And that's the way we are in our natural state. Um, we laugh, but 
deep down inside, we recognize that. But Christianity brings an entirely different perspective. It's supposed to change us. You remember early Christianity even coined a new word, uh, one that really hadn't been in the Greek vocabulary very much before that, that word for love, that agape, the kind of love that God shows for sinners even when we're at odds with Him. While we were yet sinners, the text says, Christ died for us. And that's what Paul says in the epistle. The proof of God's amazing love is this. While you shook your fist in God's face. That's really what it means. Christ came and died for you. And Paul, of course, knew from first-hand experience what he was talking about. You remember that the first question that Jesus asked Saul, that was when he became, before he became Paul, on that road to Tarshish when he was struck blind is, why are you doing this? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And whenever we see someone forgive another who has actively sought to harm or hurt them, we know that it's a God-like quality. In Mark's Gospel, he remembers the scene from the crucifixion of Jesus when the Roman centurion calls out as Jesus is dying, truly this man was the Son of God. Now, why would a battle-hardened centurion who probably just helped crucify Jesus suddenly change his mind and declare that this prisoner he's killed is something more? Well, none of us know. We weren't there. We can't read another person's mind. But I suspect it has to do with Jesus' words from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Even a callous Roman centurion recognizes that as a godly quality. Why does Paul have that experience on the road to Damascus? I don't think it was as sudden as sometimes we act like it is in the Scriptures. My suspicion is, is that Paul's been struggling with this whole business about Jesus for a long time. You remember he stands and holds, watches really, the cloaks of those who are stoning Stephen to death. And Stephen does what? He emulates Jesus and says, Father, don't hold this against him. I think that was the beginning of Paul's transformation. Because that is, after all, a God-like quality. I've known any number of people over the years who struggle with this business about forgiving enemies. Sometimes including me. I know people who despise me. And quite frankly, it's pretty easy to despise them right back, isn't it? How can we forgive somebody when we know so much bitterness in our own heart? And maybe even more importantly, how do you forgive somebody who doesn't want to be forgiven? How do you forgive somebody who doesn't care? That's, that's pretty difficult. But it also focuses on what is really a common misconception. And that is that forgiveness, first of all, starts off as an emotion. But forgiveness, like that deep agape love, is not an emotion, first of all. It is an act of the will. 
It is our deciding with God's immense help that we will begin to act in a way that moves toward forgiveness. Does it happen all at once? Probably not. But we will begin to act as if. And that's really where forgiveness happens. It's not saying, oh, oh, that's okay, forget it, it'll be all right. That's not forgiveness. Now, for some of the little things that happen in our lives, maybe that's perfectly appropriate. But not for those big things. Forgiveness is deciding to move toward granting that whether they want it or not. I always hesitate to use examples that are older than I am, but I use them because as a historian, you can't help but pick up some of those. I suspect most people here remember the name Corey Ten Boom. Anybody here not know who that was? Well, I'm going to tell you. She was a Dutch Christian. She was actually already well into being an adult, who, along with her father and sister, were in the Dutch underground, not actively fighting the Nazis, but rescuing Jewish neighbors. And they rescued a bunch of them. In fact, uh, as I looked it up this week to refresh my own memory, only one of the people they rescued was ever found and killed. So they did a good job with it. But somebody squealed on them. And so they were arrested, they were sent to a concentration camp, as the Germans did. And as you know, many of these camps were extermination camps. Corey managed to live. Her father and sister did not. They were killed in the camps. But as she tells the story, she says, After the war, I got invited back to Germany on many occasions to speak in the churches. And as I was there, I was talking about forgiveness. And I recognized back there in the back of the room a balding, heavy-set man. It was 1947. I was talking about forgiveness. And I saw him standing back there. But all I could see was a gray overcoat and a visored cap with a skull and crossbones on it. He was one of the guards from the camp. One of the cruelest of the guards. Surely he couldn't remember me, she says. But I remembered him. The place was Ravensbrück. Not Auschwitz or one of the others, but it was an extermination camp nonetheless. And when it was over, he walks forward and sticks out his hand and says, Fraulein, how good it is to know that God forgives us. Will you forgive me? And she says, I couldn't do it. There was no way I could forgive this man who had done so much. But he stands there and he moves on and he says, You mentioned Ravensbrook. You know I was a guard there. And since that time, I've become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven the cruel things I did. And he repeats, will you forgive me? She says she stood there for what seemed like hours. <laughs> you know how the moment can stretch into infinity when you're being asked to do something you don't want to do. 
And then she said she remembered from the Scriptures, if you do not forgive your brother, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. She knew that forgiveness is the road toward mental and psychological and spiritual healing. How do you forgive a monster in human form? And then she remembered, forgiveness is not my emotion. It is an act of my will. And so she says, I prayed, Jesus help me. I can't do this. I cannot do this. And all of a sudden, she said, it felt like an electric current running through her hands and through her body. And she knew, and she reached out her hand and took his hand and said, Brother, I forgive you. You don't do that without God there. We would have wanted to hang him from the highest tree. With all my heart, I forgive you. Maybe the hardest thing any of us ever has to do. On the other hand, asking somebody to forgive us may be just as hard. How do we do that? I grew up watching old John Wayne movies, and I liked them a lot. I still watch John Wayne movies, and I like them. But John Wayne was a lousy theologian. You remember when John Wayne says, don't ever apologize, it's a sign of weakness? He must have done it in 15 movies. He's wrong, wrong, wrong. Not a sign of weakness. It is the sign of great strength. Now go and watch your John Wayne movies and enjoy them if you want to. Just remember, he's no theologian. He doesn't know what he's talking about. There's always these four parts of forgiveness. And you have to have them all if you're going to get the mental, the psychological, the spiritual health God wants. And it's fine for us to talk about God forgiving us and us forgiving ourselves and us learning to forgive others. But we have to find a way to go and ask for forgiveness when we've messed up. Now, I recognize that for the most part, we are not the sort of folk, at least I don't think you are, I've never experienced this from you, where you purposely go out and intend to hurt somebody. I don't see you behave that way. Most of the ways we hurt people are in some way a little bit inadvertent. Oh, I know how we sometimes treat family members, our sarcasm. Yeah, I'm bad about sarcasm. And those things do cause hurt and pain, and those are things we need to learn to ask for forgiveness for. If you're about to offer your gift on the altar, Jesus says, and you remember that you've done something to a brother or a sister, first go and reconcile to the brother and sister and then come back and offer it to God. And that is, of course, the right order. How can we really ever stand or sit and be right with God when we have something we need to apologize for? something we need to be forgiven for. Sometimes we just have too much pride. It is hard to ask forgiveness. We think, oh, well, it may make us look weak. Never does. But I think the biggest fear is, what if I apologize and they won't accept my apology? 
What if I ask for forgiveness and the other person tells me to go to hell? Okay? It happens. And that certainly is one of the deepest fears we can have. If you're like me and you have a quick and volatile temper that gets mad at the drop of a hat and then it's better all of a sudden, what you find is you go on your merry way feeling pretty good about life, but you've left disaster in your wake. And you'd better find a way to go back and ask forgiveness for that. I'm sorry I was wrong. Those may be the very hardest words we ever have to say but they may also be the most important. And it's not that we do it today and say, well, I'm caught up. Asking forgiveness is something that we do all the time on a constant basis. And it is particularly important in our family life and in the life of the church. How many little hurts fester and go bad because... Somebody did something to me. They didn't talk to me or they forgot my name or something else. Come on. Let's learn to ask forgiveness. I don't know if it's true or not. It's a story. Perhaps true, perhaps not. Leonardo da Vinci is supposed to be painting the famous Last Supper. And he's got most of it done. He's coming down to paint the, the face of Jesus but as he is ready to do the painting, he has a terrible argument with one of his friends. And they really are bitterly angry with each other. And according to the story, as he tries to paint, he simply can't seem to get anything right for the face of Christ. It just won't come to him. And he works at it, and he works at it, and he works at it, and none of it will work. And finally, he recognizes he's got to get right with his friend if he's going to ever see the face of Jesus. Now, as I said, it's a legend. I don't know if it's true or not. There are all kinds of legends that float around famous folk. But it's true theologically. It is, through spirit. it is true spiritually. Until we learn to ask and offer forgiveness. Most of our sins, I suspect, not only affect our relationship with God, they affect our relationship with other people. That's just the way it is with human beings. And most of those wrongdoings can be quickly solved if we're wise enough and intuitive enough to know when to ask forgiveness. It is so easy to hurt somebody else's feelings. We've all done it. And then we'll play the game, well, golly, if they weren't so sensitive, they wouldn't have gotten their feelings hurt. No. Doesn't matter. Maybe they are too sensitive. I don't know. But it's our job. It is our job. But here's another piece. You know, it's really hard to offer an apology if you don't know you did it. How easy it is to have hurt somebody's feelings and you didn't catch it. You didn't see their face, um, something in the way it happened. You didn't recognize you'd done anything. And they're furious with you and you don't know why. 
Well, forgiveness is always that two-way street. Sometimes we've got to be honest enough with our friends to say, you know, you hurt my feelings. This was a serious breach of what was going on. Because unless we know, how can we ask? Today's the last of this sermon series. And I suspect you're glad for it. (laughs) But the real bottom line is this. Now you know more about forgiveness than you probably wanted to. But are you going to do something about it? I guarantee you in all of our lives, there's a hurt that we need to be forgiven for. And there's somebody we need to apologize to. So are we going to do it? Are we going to take all this head knowledge and say, boy, that was fine. I'm going to go on and live the life the way I've been living it. Those are our choices. Remember, we really do not find that great depth of wholeness until we are able to exercise forgiveness in all those places. And I say again, it's never just for today. It's for tomorrow and the next day and the day that follows. It's for eternity. Because as human beings, as long as we're on this earth, we're going to keep messing up. We all have a relationship that needs mending. Let's mend it. Let's learn to swallow pride and say, I forgive you, will you forgive me? Forgiveness is an act of the will. Let's quit pretending we have to feel it first before we act on it. Forgiveness is an act of the will. God help us learn to forgive. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.